There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Welcome back. Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio 640 in Toronto. Wolfgang Klein, your host, top of the day. Jack Hartle, your wingman, my wingman. Uh, we got uh, Kevin Muir in studio. He's a market strategist with East West Investment Management and author of The Macro Tourist. Uh, we're going to also chat later in the show with our asset class strategist, Brian Reynolds. Basically, he's going to talk about how much money is sloshing around in the system and why he thinks this bull market is going to continue for another three years. Uh, so he's a bit of a contrarian call, and I like it. Uh, we're going to end it off with a talk on oil, uh, oil matters, and, of course, Rafi. Tamazian, Senior Portfolio Manager at Canoe Financial, uh, runs some of the oil money for Jack and I. And, uh, well, it's always good to check in to see what's going on in the world of crude. Uh, but anyways, let's get over to Kevin Muir. Again, market strategist, East-West Investment Management, author of The Macro Tourist, and good friend to uh, Hi-Fi Radio. Basically, you've been with us uh, pretty much since day one. It's been uh, great. It, it has been great. A lot of fun. Real, real treat to have you on the show. Um, so uh, I have a package here in front of me, but you won't let me read it, uh, which is good. We're gonna, More you know, spontaneous. Yes, uh, that's what radio is all about, uh, from the heart, keep it pure. Uh, but the headline basically was, you prefer American banks over Canadian banks. And uh, Jack and I have been on that trade for three, four, five years, Jack? At least now, yeah. We, we own some Canadian banks, but uh, you know we've gone south, down, down south for that uh, the growth profile in the U.S. banks. Uh, and in, in, our, you know, in our conservative strategy, uh, Kevin, which has an equity weighting of under 50%, um, mm-hmm. it has a 40% weighting in financials, I think, in a, uh, from the equity point of view. So uh, financials matter an awful lot uh, to investors. And I think the more conservative, longer-term investor uh, cannot invest in equities without having a position in, in, in some form of financial asset. Uh, it represents uh, what banks insurance uh, 35% of the TSX represents least, about yeah. about 14% I think it is roughly of the S&P 500 uh, so it's a big uh, asset class it's a big gig sector and uh, tell us why do you favor American banks over Canadian banks well if you look at uh, Canadian banks versus the U.S. banks over the last couple of decades, um, if I asked you how much Canadian banks have outperformed the U- their U.S. counterparts, what would you guess? Over what period of time? Over the last couple of decades. They certain, Canadian banks have outperformed by how much? But 200%? Yeah, so the um, you're, you're actually a little low. The, uh, the U.S. banks are up from 2000, up roughly 47%. From 2000? That's correct. And meanwhile, the Canadian banks are up almost 400%. So Canadians have been uh, just have, a, have had a love affair with their banks and, and rightfully so. It's been a, a great wealth creator for Canadians. And uh, I guess some people would ask why and, and uh, Canadians might tell you that it's because there's only six of them and they overcharge for all the services and and stuff like that. And, and that there's, there's no disputing that, that the margins, if you look at the return on capital for the U.S. versus the Canadian banks, the Canadian banks have consistently performed better. They've, uh, during 2008, when there was the big financial crash, they still managed to, to eke out kind of 
3 or 4% return on capital, meanwhile the U.S. went negative. So there is a little bit of, uh, of uh, kind of the Canadian ba- banks are safer and they're better run. Uh, and there's less of them, less competition. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that uh, I recently did some study, a uh, study on this, and did some research. And if I asked you what what do you think the effective tax rate of those banks during that period would have been, like give me the Canadian banks tax rate versus the American banks tax rate, what do you think it would be, Wolf? I am going to say American tax rates were higher. Than Canadian tax rates. You're, you're right, but by what factor? So, so I'll give you the Canadian. I didn't say two to one. Yeah, well, not quite that much, but the Canadian, the big six average or the median, I use the median because mm-hmm. the average kind of gets skewed a bit. So the median was roughly 21% was the effective tax rate. During that same period, the American banks were 31%. So 50% higher. So if you think about the amount of money that was taken away by the government in the U.S., Versus the Canadian, the Canadian, the investor was stuffing more and more in their pockets from the bank earnings. And you, and you ask yourself, well, no wonder the, uh, the Canadian banks have done so much better than the U.S. The, the tax rate has been 50% higher in, the, in American versus Canadian. Interesting. So, so Canadian banks were paying 21% tax on their profit. American banks were paying 30... 31.3. 31%. So uh, along comes Donald Trump. That's right. And so we look at kind of going forward and you ask yourself, what's going to happen in the next decade? Well, Donald Trump comes and all of a sudden, instead of paying 31%, the Americans are going to be paying 20%, roughly Mm -hmm. the same as the Canadians. Not only that, when you look at what's happened in Canadian or in the the CRA and, and the changes that have happened to Canadian banks, there's been two big factors that have actually made it so that the tax rate in Canada has gone up. It's one of them is the equity swaps have been outlawed and the other one is the booking of of uh, offshore insurance products. So those two factors are actually going to make it so Canadian bank tax rates are going up and US tax bank tax rates are going down. In other words, this foreign revenue, this foreign profit was once not reported, now has to be reported. Is that well, the well, gist of it? That's the insurance the the insurance was able to be left offshore and and taxed at a lower rate and now that's having to come in and then not only that the index swaps which were basically um, a game that a lot of banks played to swap out basically income for dividend and and reduce their tax rate. That has been outlawed. So that was first brought to you know to head by Michael Wilson's government, Brian Mulroney's uh, finance minister in '89, and they talked about it, but they didn't do anything about it. And then it has recently been one of the last things Harper did was he changed it and outlawed it. And now not only that, Trudeau's government is going back and assessing from 2011 all those things there's various banks have problems going on with the cra not problems but disputes going on with the cra of you know hundreds of millions of dollars for back taxes Hmm. we have kevin muir in the studio we're talking about canadian banks versus u.s banks uh it's a very very big category you want to pay attention because i guarantee directly or indirectly those canadian banks affect your day-to-day life uh here on hi-fi radio 640 in toronto Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
<laughs> Crime doesn't pay, does it? <laughs> yep, a bank robber. Tell me something, speaking about banks and about fees up here in Canada, uh, do you believe the Canadian banks rob the consumer up here? I'm not sure rob is the right answer, but there's no doubt that there's a lot less competition than the U.S., it shows you what happens when you have less competition. So up here in Canada, we have regulated industries, whether it's telecom, banking. They're stable industries in Canada, but because of that stability, you have higher prices. Right? Yeah, no doubt about it. There's, there, I can't remember the number. That there's 3,800 you know, banks in the U.S., and really we're down to like you know six of the big ones and probably another kind of half handful of smaller guys. Don't forget It shows you the power of a free market, though, right? It's better for the consumer because you have choice. And you have lower prices. 3,800 banks in America with the regionals and, uh, and yeah. I guess the thrifts and Yeah, the no, there's a lot of competition. And, and, and much more defaults down in the U.S. with a lot of those small regional banks too. You don't you don't typically see that in Canada. Yeah. But it's certainly uh, a, the case down in the States. No right? question. And so and loan, but, loan losses and loan loss provisions, Jack, as such, are higher in America because there is just that little bit yeah. more default. But let's, but let's not go back to the macro. No, the reason you brought Kevin in, key reason, Jack, is because, of course, the, the, the changing landscape, the big macro picture, changing landscape, Canada versus U.S. of A. Uh, Canada, for the last 15 years, had a, had a healthy consumer that strapped on additional debt in a very moderate fashion, but over a 15 to 20 year period, uh, culminated, escalated to, to an amount of about 170% of, I think it is gross income, um, versus in America, that was about the tipping point when it went into crises, when I think debt to gross income turned uh, turned above 170%. Uh, Canadian consumer, I think, is getting a little toppy in terms of taking on debt, whereas the US consumer, exact opposite. They strapped on debt, peaked out, have been deleveraging now for since the crises for the last eight to 10 years and are now putting on more debt. You're absolutely correct. The Americans were, were strapping debt on at a, at a much greater rate than the Canadians in the lead up to the great financial crisis in 2008. Um, they hit a point where they were almost 100% of GDP. And then the 2008 um, crisis, this is household debt to GDP. And they hit a point after the, great, after the crisis where they actually went down and they're now around 77%. So they, debt, debt to GDP. That's correct. Yeah, my number I was using was debt to income. That's correct. And in, in, in Canada, we went and we were at roughly 100% in 2008 or 2009, but we've just been going up since then. So we're now at 110 and we just seem to be strapping more and more on. And I'll tell you what... Um, so the, the Sell Canadian Banks has been a, a call that many hedge funds have tried. They've, they've been sitting here looking at our housing bubble and they've been proclaiming that this is the next problem that's going to occur and there's there's so many bodies in like littered with short sellers trying to time this you know collapse in the canadian housing and i haven't i haven't been one of those ones that have you know been all bearish but the other day i was at um i was at a conference and there's a there's a investment firm a research firm called veritas and they're just a really smart group a bunch of guys the forensic accountants that's well they're they're yes they're very they're an independent research shop right and no, he, I, read, I read their yeah. work yeah. and uh and it's it's one of these reports that cost 10, 10 or 20 grand a report or something but it's just terrific stuff and the guy was uh, was forced to come up with his one good call and he came out and he made his call sell canadian banks and this was to a group of canadians 
Mm-hmm. And I and I was kind of laughing. I was saying to myself, "That's a gutsy call. That's kind of like saying that the it is the, a gutsy call. The Stanley Cup is just another trophy. Like that's you know that <laughs> <laughs> you know so you know because if you think about how many people have tried to do this and how many people have made money in the meantime, so and you went through it and he, and his argument was that the Canadian consumer has hit a point where they're tapped out and they can't do any more. Not only that, the government is actively trying to, to rein in this you know, speculation by increasing the mortgage rules, making it more mm-hmm. difficult to borrow. And not only like, if you think about it, rates are going up, rates are mm-hmm. no longer at zero and you know, 1%, they've been going up. So his argument was that, you know, maybe it's not a, an end of the world call, but at, at, at the margin, Canadian banks are going to be going, you know, struggling to continue to expand their profits in this environment. And it'll be instead of these tailwinds at their back of a consumer credit that's expanding, there's now a headwind. So now if we think about, they contrast that to the Americans, where the Americans are busy trying to institute all sorts of pro-business policies. Trump is deregulating the banks. He's trying to eliminate all sorts of red tape. He's doing everything to make it business friendly. And let's face it, the guy's a real estate mogul. You know, he's made his fortune on real estate. He wants the the real estate to be humming. So I look around and I say to myself, you have smart guys like the Veritas guy telling you that, his name's Anthony, the guy that runs Veritas, telling you that it might be time to look at selling the banks. And then we have in the U.S., all sorts of pro-business policies and also the cutting in the taxes. And when you combine those two and then look at the valuations, the valuations for the, the U.S. banks, the U.S. banks are trading roughly one point, uh, where are we here? Yeah, about 1.2, 1.3 book, right? Yeah, and yeah. so, and well, they're kind of one point, it depends on what sure, book it's at, 1.45, yeah. but, the, but the Canadian banks are 1.8. Yeah. So I look at it and I'm thinking to myself, the Canadian banks have done terrific but, you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of good news priced in. Mm-hmm. American banks have been terrible for a long time. They've gone sideways for two decades. But there's a lot of, you know, positive things in the horizon. So I think it's a kind of, a, I hate to use the word no-brainer, but it's, it seems like it's me a no-brainer to be buying U.S. banks and selling Canadian banks. And for those that want to be more aggressive and those that have always said, you know, I think Canada is a disaster waiting to happen and I want to short the Canadian banks, I would argue that putting on a trade of short Canadian banks versus long Canadian banks eliminates the dividend drag that you have and and makes it so that you can still, even if the market rises, you might get a situation where you still win and it might not need the collapse of the Canadian banks. You might just win by the U.S. banks going up. So, so, so you, you want to be like, short the Canadian banks long the U.S. That's banks. That's correct. Okay, right, right. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, did, yeah. I, did I, no, I, I that's say that's that wrong? That's right. I, I, I get it wrong all the time, pal. Uh, Kevin, a real treat to have you in studio. Kevin Muir, uh, the author of the Macro Tourist Letter. Uh, real treat. Uh, big brain. Uh, come back soon, will you? Uh, Brian Reynolds is going to speak about the money sloshing around the American system and as such with uh, lots of fuel. Uh, it is... Uh, Fata for a higher market. Uh, stay tuned. Hi-Fi Radio will be back right after this. Money. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a house. I would buy you a house. And if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, that would be nice, wouldn't it? An extra million bucks sloshing around. Hi-Fi Radio, Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartle, and on the line we got Brian Reynolds. He's our asset class strategist uh, with Canaccord Genuity. And uh, basically, what that means is the well, uh, you tell us what it means. What does it mean to be an asset class strategist, Brian? Well, I try to, I try to figure out where financial markets are going, and I want to wish you a happy Canada Day week, also known as John Tavares Week. Well, thank you very kindly. I appreciate that's very kind of you. That's very kind of you. Um, so you want to you, you try to figure out where markets are going. Well, I guess sort of sort of what Jack and I do every day. But ultimately, what Jack and I really try to do is just buy good quality companies that will survive the ups and downs of most markets. And it, you know, it helps if you have a bit of a you know a wind at your back too with the you know oh, what, what Brian's talking about those asset classes that are in favor versus I mean, the out of favor. I'll, I'll tell you, Jack. My father-in-law said to me at my wedding, he said, son, may you have the wind at your back uh, with a big, thick Irish accent. So yes, indeed, some tailwind is always nice. And, and, and Brian, so in terms of tailwind for the markets, because out of all these strategists that Jack and I bring onto Hi-Fi Radio, I have to say you're the most bullish um, and you're not full of it. You're just bullish. Um, and that is basically because there's just so much money sloshing around the system looking for a home, you believe. Right. And so I'm not permanently bullish. At some point, this credit cycle is going to end, and it's going to end badly. But I don't think that's going to end for another three to five years. So if you're John Tavares and you have a million dollars, this is a great time to be investing because over the next three to five years, if you put your money in the equity market and balance it out with something like a two-year treasury, you're going to come out okay. What well, well, waiting in terms of equity, being an asset class strategist for, for a, let's go back to uh, Jack and I, our, our typical client would probably be a 55-year-old, Jack. Uh, so for a 55-year-old that still has, say, you know, 10 or 15 years of working life in front of them, uh, how much money would you put in bonds versus stocks in this environment? Well, when I first started talking to you over a year ago, I said you wanted a barbell between cash and stocks because I didn't like the value of bonds. But in the last year, the yield on the two-year treasury has risen significantly. So I think that if you have a, a blend, and this depends on your risk tolerance, a blend between stocks and say the two-year, I think you can get some yield from the two-year and get some capital gains from stocks over the next three to five years. Uh, you know, in terms of yield, you know, there are a few corporate pieces of paper. What was the one we saw recently, Jack? A U.S. piece of paper. I said, that's not bad. Was it Procter & Gamble? Uh, and what was the yield? Maybe, four, Maybe 3 to 4%. 3 to 4% for triple Which B. Which isn't exciting. But no, but it was investment grade triple quality, B. Yeah. But then Jack and I said to ourselves, however, if we purchase this piece of paper and generate a 4% return for our client over about an eight, it was an eight-year bond, I think, uh, currency risk. Uh, Canadian dollar is 75 cents right now. <clears throat> the U.S. dollar has been strong, Brian. <clears throat> so uh, in terms of the U.S. dollar's strength, it's defying odds right now. I think there were more U.S. dollar bears six months ago than there were bulls. And, uh, well, they, they've been... Uh, Somewhat tamed. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what's, what's your belief of the U.S. dollar for the next three to five years? Well, I think it's going to fluctuate, but eventually higher, because we're going to do more financial engineering in the U.S. than in other countries. And that gets back to the risk that you're talking about with Procter & Gamble. Yes, it has a 4% yield, but I think the equity market will return more than that. 
And if there happens to be a crisis in between them, that yield is going to go up, which means the price will go down. So I would rather be in a two-year treasury than in a two-year Procter & Gamble bond and take the risk in the equity market rather than in the credit market. How much money would you, again, a moderate uh, moderate temperance for risk, how much money would you be putting into U.S. two-year treasuries? And what's the yield, by the way, in the U.S. two-year treasury right now? Well, the two-year treasury yields about two and a half percent, and that's you know maybe a hundred basis points more than it was when we were talking a year ago. Uh-huh. It's hard to say how much you want to put into it because that depends on your risk preference. Right, but for a moderate individual, I mean, if you don't want to be you know pinned into a corner, I'll, I'll, I'll let you out. <laughs> yeah. and so and so a year ago, I would have said zero. I would have said cash rather than two-year. Right, and so now that it's risen so much in yield. Whatever cash balance you have, I would cut the cash in half and put the other half into the two-year. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Brian Reynolds, our asset class strategist, uh, he, he works in the United States. Uh, basically, you, you watch money flows. Uh, you, you pay a lot of attention to what's called the credit markets, uh, borrowed money. Um, and you, you get a lot of uh, equity clues as a result of that, Brian. Uh, you really got your uh, pulse, I'd say, on Wall Street. And you have a very unique um, view, a very unique lens uh, of the markets. And we, when Jack and I share your thoughts with people, their, their eyes sort of perk up, saying, hmm, that's a fresh idea. So look, I'm I want to to continue to uh, uh, drill deeper into the uh, notion of the amount of money sloshing around the system uh, with Brian Reynolds uh, right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Welcome back. High Five Radio 640 in Toronto. Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartle. We have Brian Reynolds uh, on the line. He's in Boston. And uh, Brian, um, do you speak with uh, a lot of the smart money? Uh, in other words, the institutions, uh, the hedge funds, uh, the, the PhD propeller heads on Wall Street. Uh, did you get a lot of dialogue back and forth with them? And if you do, share with us uh, some of the themes that, that, that they are working off of, and more importantly, themes that you think are incorrect and we can maybe uh, uh, arb out. Well, I wouldn't call it smart money as much as I would call it big money. <laughs> and so my mentor has taught me to follow the big money. And the big money is going into U.S. credit, which means I don't want to be in U.S. credit, as we talked about with the Procter & Gamble bond. These flows in the credit means there's going to be more money for buybacks, more money for mergers. So I'd rather take my risk money and put it in stocks, and I'd rather take my safe money and put it into into U.S. credit in terms of the two-year treasury. So so when you're talking about credit, just for the listener there, Brian, uh, and you say big money's going into U.S. credit, so that's U.S. corporate bonds and then also high-yield debt, which is obviously lower grade than uh, the investment grade. Exactly. Since the financial crisis ended, the U.S. credit market has grown by 74%, while U.S. nominal GDP is only up 34%. In other words, the U.S. is leveraging its economy like never before. And I want to be a beneficiary of that, which means my risk goes into stocks 
My safety goes into the two-year treasury. Brian, again, Jack wants to open with uh, a bit of bearish talk, uh, you know, other crises that have occurred. You, you believe the next financial crisis could be three, four, maybe five years away? No one really knows, uh, but based on your macro work, that's sort of what you're looking at. Should we talk about that now um, or game on? Let's worry about that six months before the, the bell rings. And truth be told, bells don't ring when markets end. Uh, so would, would you, you want to help a listener now how to prepare for the inevitable? Or you just want to focus on making money? We should absolutely talk about this now because we've had two crises in the last decade or so, 2000 and 2007 and 2008. Mm-hmm. And so we're probably going to have another one of those where stocks go down 40 to 50%, but from a level that's likely much higher. So I want to play this on the equity side on both the upside during the bull market and on the downside during the bear market. And they do ring a bell. It's that most equity people don't hear that bell. It's credit people that hear the bell. There's usually a run on the bank. That happened with the Florida cash fund which prompted a $15 billion run on the bank in November of 2007. When that happens again, I'm going to shift from being very bullish on stock prices to being very bearish on stock prices. So, so a run on the bank, is that's what you're looking for? There's usually some type of panic in the credit market that leads to the end of the credit cycle. And it's usually in something that people feel is safe, like a cash fund run by Florida. So I'm always on the lookout for that. However, right now, I see the opposite. I see people in the credit market taking additional risk, which makes me more bullish for stocks for the next three to five years. When those flows reverse, I think that's when you have to get bearish on equities, and that's when you want to sell your stocks. But I don't see that happening right now. So, Brian, in your most recent piece uh, that you published this week, you talked about uh, the credit markets and what they're telling you about the upcoming earnings season, which is not that far away. Uh, what are you seeing right now? Earnings season starts next week with J.P. Morgan's release of their earnings. And what I like to do, I follow corporate tax payments, which happened on the 15th of the last month of a quarter, in other words, on June 15th. And the flows that I saw based on the Fed funds rate, based on money market flows, tell us that companies are going to beat their lowered expectations. And there's a very good chance that the earnings beat may be bigger than normal from what we've seen during this bull market. So the, the, the tax flows that you're talking, or the money market flows obviously tell you that there's going to be higher taxes paid. How much of that is going to be, um, how much of that is just repatriation uh, from Trump? We need to take it with a grain of salt because the repatriation does throw a variable in there. But this level of money market flows at tax time is more than double the biggest number we've seen in this bull market. And so even if you cut that by half, that tells you that earnings season is likely going to be very robust. Brian Reynolds, our asset class strategist, uh, big brain. You got to promise us one thing, Brian, you have the bell, um, or is close to your brain. Anyways, uh, you have to help us uh, hear that bell. Um, and, and help the listeners hear the bell on Hi-Fi Radio. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I'm I always thought... Do my best 
but it's more likely the Maple Leafs have a Stanley Cup parade down Bay Street before that bell rings. Oh, I don't know about that one. We've been waiting for a while. <laughs> Brian Reynolds in Boston, Kennecourt Genuity's asset class strategist, uh, the bell ringer. We're going to call him from now on. He's going to be a frequent guest on Hi-Fi Radio. And, uh, well, as the bull market continues to roar, he'll be roaring with it. And when the bond market, the credit market, begins to see some stress. Brian's going to hopefully help us see and feel that stress and readjust our portfolios to help protect on the downside. Uh, risk assets are risk assets, my good friend. They always have been, always will be. Uh, pain, gain, all that good stuff. Buy low, sell high. Hi-Fi Radio 640 in Toronto. Oil, my friends, that's what's up next. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Life would be back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Come and listen to my story about a man named Jed. A poor mountaineer barely kept his family fed. And then one day he was shooting at some food and up through the ground come a bubbling crude. Oil, that is. Black gold. Texas tea. Do you know the uh, show you ever watched Beverly Hillbillies, Jack? I can't say that I have. Yeah, it was right up there with Green Acres. Um, good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, a bit before my time. <laughs> uh, it is Hi-Fi Radio, a show about money. Jack Hartle in studio, Wolfgang Klein, your host. And uh, we have Rafi Tamazian. Tamazian. What a, what a Tamazian name you got there, Raf. People, people also thought my name was pretty cool, Wolfgang. What about Wolfgang Tamazian? That wouldn't work. <laughs> uh, you are a senior portfolio manager at Canoe Financial. Uh, Jack and I see you more of an oil guy. That's what you do. You help run our, well, some of our oil money. Rafi, because uh, I can call my wholesaler and do an update, and I go to your presentations. I buy, buy you for the macro. But year to date, have you made Jack and I any money in the oil market? Uh, are my funds up? <laughs> yes. Are your funds up? Yeah. You're in a corner, man. You got to answer the question here. It's iFi Radio. Yeah, funds are up. Uh, the the long only funds are, uh, you know, ticking a couple of percentage points, two or three percent up, and the the alpha funds running around twelve uh, percent. Um, the challenge for uh, investors like myself have been really the energy market has been driven by predominantly Suncor and it is you know 25 percent of the index so if i'm going to own the and, and then the refiners had a really good run at the beginning of the year which means imo and husky so all these large indexing names have done very well sorry i want to sell to interject right there rafi because uh, i mm-hmm. did not know that there used to be an old radio uh uh, bit that was called I did not know that uh, so Suncor I remember that yeah you, you remember that hey uh, so Suncor did, did you say it's 25% of the TSX oil index yeah so then and then let's add Big, CNRL on no I want to again I want to interject sorry sorry Rafi I want to interject again because I didn't I, I said I did not know that 25% of TSX that is reminiscent of Nortel when it was what Rafi you remember this in 2000 it was at yeah, 35% yeah. of the TSX so that this was, was a, but is, so is this a uh canary in the coal mine for Suncor I, what does it tell you that Suncor is a quarter of the index um that's a good way to look at it actually and what you're asking the the Suncor I mean I remember what Nortel was based on and Technology kept moving ahead and Nortel didn't. Um, you know, Suncor has to keep moving ahead. It has to be the leader in, in, in 
cracking heavy oil barrels uh, cheaper and cheaper, being able to refine it all cheaper, get it to the markets, massive exposure to, you know, multiple different pricing mechanisms, whether it's Edmonton, Select, West Texas, or Brent. Hey, send some to BCE. Apparently gas prices are up there, my friend. Pardon me? Send some of that gas or oil to British Columbia. Apparently the gasoline prices there have spiked some 9%. I, I think John, John, Hor- John Horgan, not a happy guy. You're focusing where I get concerned, actually, is every time gas prices, fuel costs get a little higher, um, there's people complaining about, in Canada, a lot of you know zealots about the energy industry, and they don't want to support it. And then when fuel costs go a little higher, they start complaining to the government saying, you've got to fix this problem for us. And um, what I worry about is a possible, you know, my, my job is to look at possible train wrecks too. What are, what are the things that are going to um, submarine my industry? And <laughs> in Canada, unfortunately, the only thing that continues to loom is political, um, you know, un, unsavory political decisions and continuing that trend. And the government intervening saying, yeah, we can, we can fix your fuel cost problem by taxing the oil companies more. That that would be a big problem. Now, I use the word tax. It would be a much different mechanism. But, um, Net effect of tax. It's kind of weird that I would actually even have that process through my head um, when the rest of the energy community around the globe is is having a hell of a run and and doing quite well. And, and well, yeah, well, Trump, 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 no, but Trump, for example, he's calling OPEC to reduce prices. He wants, he wants what, Saudi Arabia, Jack, to, to turn on the taps, add another couple million barrels. He tweeted that. I don't know if he actually wants it or what his plan is there. So uh, that and Iran. Um, so you got both local and you got global factors that are geopolitical and just straight political that play into your sector. But with so many moving well, parts. No, Rafi, no, no. But I think, no, I think the global one is not geopolitical. It's geoeconomic. It is, it is a situation hmm. where higher oil prices could create a global slowdown in the economy. And that's what's worrying people like Trump. Uh-huh. Um, uh, the, the, the Horgan is just greedy with his hand out asking for more. And, and, the, and then on the other side, slapping the same industry, biting the hand that feeds him, if you will. But I think that the problem that Trump has is that he, and, and these numbers are, you know, reiterated three ways to Sunday. There isn't 2 million barrels more to bring on. <laughs> if, if you bring on 2 million barrels of non, of, of OPEC and Russian oil, what's left of it, It'll probably take six or eight months to do it, and you probably won't get two million barrels. There, the, we are the globe is at almost virtually at capacity. The, the 1.3 million barrels they want to bring on will put us to the lowest excess surplus of supply since 1980. So we are on the cusp of having not enough supply to the demand growth that we have, and that is going to create a potential oil spike. And I, that concerns me as well. Okay, hold on, Rafi. Look, it, 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 we're in a weekend here. I need to uh, gas up before I get that spike. I got a diesel. I need another 50 liters of it, my good friend. Let me run out, get some diesel, pay some bills around here, get right back to Rafi Tamazian, Senior Portfolio Manager at Canoe Financial, our oil guy on Hi-Fi Radio. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
Sounds like hard labor to me, Jack. Hey, laying some pipe. Hard labor is good, buddy. Jack, you've done hard labor in your day. I know it's, you have. So okay. tell me about some hard labor you've done. Say, and it wasn't for me, pal. You hey. Never any hard labor for me. It's okay when you're young, but uh, I'm glad that I, I work in an air-conditioned office now. So that. <laughs> or studio, air-conditioned sure. studio down here at Chorus Entertainment. Uh, we have Rafi Tamazian on the line. He is in. You are in Calgary today, take it, or Alberta? I am. That, yeah. little, that little province of ours. And uh, you still fighting with BC? Are you guys still scrapping out British Columbia and Alberta? Wine for oil, oil for wine. Uh, hey, I need some propane for my barbecue. Jack said propane prices are spiking. I just got my car filled up with some diesel. Now I gotta get my barbecue filled up. Uh, so what gives with uh, the old propane? Well, the the prices are 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 somewhat correlated to WTI as well, which is um, what West, would, West Texas West crude Texas oil intermediate. Yeah, so yeah. you know condensate, which is the most prolific liquid, and we're gonna get a little complex here. That one gets a ten percent premium to WTI when you sell it, and uh, then you have butane. Butane is is traded off of a percentage of the WTI as well, albeit a lot lower percentage. And then propane is the next one where you get some some other value, but because of its supply, uh, greater supply, it comes at a lower price as well. Sir, what do we use butane? What, what do we use? What do we use butane for aside from bic lighters, which people don't use anymore because no one smokes anymore? I don't know. I, I, no, you don't know what they use butane for, but you know the price of the stuff. Hell yeah. yeah. Well, we remember I. I am the producer, not the consumer side of the business, right? Like what people use this for is that's a, that's far less important to me. <laughs> the mid, the, as long as they use it. The midstreamer, you know, I always uh, talk about uh, these situations um, in the oil and gas industry. And it all, I always talk about how it's something might favor the price of oil going higher. And someone will go out and I'll say, that's good. And someone will say, why is that good? And I'm like, well, because I'm in the oil and gas industry. You, remember. <laughs> you know, well, I, I, what, don't mind the, I don't mind prices going up at the pump. Well, right? can you, I would say Canadians shouldn't mind either because, I mean, we, we are net exporters. And every time that, you know, oil prices go up and gasoline prices go up, and I hear from my dad up north and he tells me that, uh, you know, it's, it's a big uh, consortium trying to rip them off. Um, it's actually good because he's got a lot of money invested in oil stocks. Oh, no question. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah absolutely. It's not a consortium. He can rest assured it's not a consortium, and they're not, you know, they, but, but it is, you know, that is the issue. And when the prices are going higher, that means they're going better. I'll tell you, even when the Canadian dollar is weaker, we're also making a lot of money because we sell the product in U.S. dollars. So our, our right. FX is, is very favorable. So the, so the companies are doing very well. And you, you notice there hasn't been a new equity market in a long time. Uh, you haven't heard about oil companies coming to the market with new money. To oh, no, no, there's, there's no, uh, no, no investor shows, no dog and pony shows. They're not booking the hotel room. No one cares about energy, uh, Rafi. No, yeah, no, no. Bit, are, Bitcoin, crypto, marijuana, not, yeah. not oil. They don't care, which is interesting because at some point, Rafi, you got to become a hero again. I, I bet you back in the day when crude was 150 and you went to a party, y- you were not shunned, were you? No. No. You're probably no. shunned a little bit right now. A little shun going on there with Rafi. Oh, yeah. No, ah. I mean, we're we, we don't shun you here Alberta, by the Red High Five. We like that. Alberta alienation is a very, very tricky situation right now, and people need to start thinking about those words. We're going to hear more about it in the next 12 months. Well, so repeat Alberta. the phrase. Alberta alienation. And I, I think, you'll, you know, when Trudeau is stomping around the country in, earlier this week talking about how Canadians stick together and we look out for each other and... Mm-hmm. And when things are troubled, I, I don't really know exactly what he was talking about, but I think there was a lot of hypocrisy in the words he uses like that. And I think you're going to see, you know, the the, the recent uh, 
you know, news coming out about the budget and the and transfer payments being extended for another six years, uh, you know, that's basically a boot in the mouth of Alberta. That you guys, we got to watch these elections in uh, Alberta. Hey, pal, we we, we 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 did what we had to do here in Ontario, and you did a great job, <laughs> and thank you for that. Um, let's let's cross our fingers that Ford has. Uh, a balance around him and how he manages this process uh, going forward. I think he's going to get a lot of help from his friends like like uh, Jason Kenney on the UCP side here. And I'm sure he's um, speaking to uh, the former premier of Saskatchewan as well, Brad Wall, and a lot of these people are giving him some good advice. We have to be fiscally responsible um, and mindful of um, you know, our social issues and balance them more as opposed to this heavily weighted dumbbell situation going on. I don't know why you voted and, for him, Rappi, but I, I do got another question here for you. Um, international money. Um, back 2000 to 2008, there was so much U.S. money, so much international money holding Canada up on a pedestal and saying we want anything Canadian. You got potash, we'll take it. You have uranium, bring it on. Nat gas, love nat gas. Oil, more of it. Where are they? Yeah, so I saw a number recently that the, the, the last half of last year, I think the ex- outflows of uh, money out of Canada was $70 billion and the inflows was 30 So um, Still money uh, exiting. Uh, so still money exiting. Not coming and- back, leaving. And, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it would take a lot to switch that around. I think... Um, it's it's more it is more of an intermediate term problem now because the, the the situation is our our country is becoming more regulated. We all know that it's we hear about more rules and more interference. And when government regulates as opposed to deregulates, when government increases taxes as opposed to decreasing fun, taxes, yeah. Yeah. it doesn't stimulate your economy. It doesn't. We are not rewarding the risk taker. And if you don't reward the risk taker, you penalize them, then where do they go? You know, it's funny because our first guest, uh, Kevin Muir, spoke about that, just that, Canadian banks versus U.S. banks. Um, And in terms of where are taxes, they're going up in Canada, down in America. Where's the risk capital? You're seeing it out more and more of it go into America. And regulation is also a big That's right. More regulation in Canada, less regulation in America. Yeah, yeah. So, gee, I feel better now. Not. (laughs) <laughs> let, 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 let's close with Suncor. Um, again, it's 25% of the index. Do we hang on to the stock or do we say, look, it, it, it can't, it's not going to become 50% of the index. Um, Jack thinks it's going to continue to on the M&A front. Uh, I, well, I just, I just think, it's a high, I, I think it's a high quality oil asset, some of the best quality assets in Canada. And they've taken advantage of just that, what you're talking about. A lot of money's leaving Canada right now. A lot of international money's been leaving. Um, and they've been scooping up these assets. So Suncor has been buying that uh, those international assets. Well, we see the growth of the company. It has growth. The earnings yeah. are going up. Revenue is going up. Barrels of output are going up. Correct, Rafi? You know what their best asset acquisition was? What? Canadian Canadian Oil Sands, COS. Yeah. That yeah. was like... Yeah, they, they, that was a good price. Yeah, they, yeah, they, 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 they bought, uh, bought them. I, I was pretty excited about the Petro-Canada gas stations. No one really talks about that. Uh, but they, they, well, no, but seriously, uh, hey, Couch Tart has been a big, big stock. It's pulled back considerably. But uh, this Petro-Canada, maybe they should spin that out. What do you think? Spin out Petro-Canada as a standalone well, entity? That's their, well, but that might be their strength, is that they are upstream, midstream, and downstream. And they're exposing themselves to all aspects without having to be beholden. For instance, 
Canadian Natural Resources does not have that downstream. They don't have the marketing. Um, they don't get to take advantage of the higher prices. Someone else is capturing that, uh, right. some other downstream entity. And, and that's a lot of our companies, the oil is trapped and it can't get out to the markets. Mm-hmm. Suncor, you could argue, is less trapped because it has the flow right through. It's, it's, it's taken the, the food chain and eaten it all up all the way. And it's it's holding them in good stead. The market perceives that as less risky. Right, um, Rafi, so. we gotta go, my man. Rafi Tamazian, you are amazing. Uh, senior portfolio manager with Canoe Financial. Uh, you run the oil money for Canoe, and well, Jack and I have given you a sleeve of our money to help manage on behalf of our clients because it's a space that well, it requires additional expertise, uh, a little more complex than buying a bank, uh, I shall say. Thanks, you guys. I appreciate the support. I wish you all a great weekend. Hi-Fi Radio, Jack and I will be back next weekend to help entertain and educate you on Hi-Fi Radio 640 in Toronto. You've been listening to Hi-Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi-Fi Radio, for the love of money. We'll see you next week.